I've been studying this paragraph in the Word of God for quite a while now, and uh, I'm not sure that, I, that I've really gotten to the bottom of it all. It is such a rich paragraph, and I pray that God will give us the wisdom through His Spirit so that as we read and contemplate this today, that we will really, that we will understand. That we will understand. Because that will mean and the difference between a church that is just breathing and a church that is on fire for the Lord. For this reason, that's Ephesians chapter 1 verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his, of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. May the Lord help us to understand. Any human being, my dear fellow soldiers of the Lord, any human being loves to be associated with important, influential, and rich people. It is our nature for some reason we think that if we can know someone who is something that we might also be associated to be something. Anyone who has won a lot of money will tell you how many friends in inverted commas they've gained in the wake of their fortune. People who know personally know certain celebrities can easily and endlessly rave about the fact, especially when that person's face is screened on TV. So one can, as a result of all of these things that we've just talked about, excuse Christians if they would be somewhat boastful about their powerful God and Savior. To Christ was given all authority in heaven and on earth. He is rich. Because the world belongs to him. He's powerful 
Because all rulers bow the knee before him. He is influential because he has direct access to the throne of God. And by faith, he is our savior. We know him personally. And you might think that Christians would not be able to stop talking about Christ. And yet, sadly, this is not what Christians do. They hardly speak about their Savior. There might be reasons for the state of affairs. They They might just not have the knowledge about Christ. They might not, on the other hand, believe what they know about Christ. Or they might be ashamed of Christ. This leads to spiritual poverty. The church of the Lord suffers as a result and of growth of the local congregation we cannot speak. Paul then writes to the Ephesians about the riches they have in Christ and he prays this that your eyes would be opened and your heart be enlightened for the riches of your hope and the greatness of the power of God in Christ and that you would see the purpose of God that he has for his church. Without a sure knowledge of who God is, of who Christ is and what God did for his church, without a sure knowledge of the hope of believers we have when we when Christ uh, when we die in Christ the church does not grow it suffers and suffocates in unbelief besides and i ask myself this question because that's important we're not going to talk about other churches today we're going to talk about us besides Who would be convinced to join a church where there is no vision, no knowledge, no faith, no faith, no hope, and where the power of God is neither talked about nor experienced by those who worship there? You you get the point here. We are supposed to live the gospel. We pray for growth of the church. I hope you pray that God will make this church grow. But first of all, we need to pray that we will see the greatness of God. That we will live as people who are empowered by God with knowledge that we will have a a vision because we don't have it. People will not come here. I will confess freely that my own spiritual life is not much of an example of these things. And as a result, my witness for the Lord is without power and success. But I pray that God would save me 
from this dead and lifeless faith. To sum it up, we need to know God better. Why? The ground for knowing God better. The paragraph we consider this morning begins with the phrase, for this reason. This, of course, refers back to what was said in the previous paragraph. And we don't have the time to go through all of that, but I'll just sum it up. First of all, Christians are the elect of God, called and ordained from all eternity. They are blessed by God in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Salvation begins with God and is to His glory. Point number two. God's love is shown to His children by His love through Jesus Christ. Because of that love and His eternal predestination, God adopted sinners to become His children. And that's a marvelous thing in itself. Number three. God bestows His grace on His children freely in the one, Jesus Christ, whom He loves. We received redemption and God revealed the mystery of His will through of what He purposed in Christ, which is all things in heaven and on earth are brought together under one head, Jesus Christ. Now that in itself can take weeks of preaching. We need to understand that. Number four, God is working out all things according to His plan, precisely as He planned it from all eternity. Nothing stands in the way of God to accomplish His purposes. The reason for this is that we who are for, were formerly sinners, not worthy of grace, would become His children to live to His glory and praise. Another mouthful, but keep that in mind. These are the things we are God's elect. Nothing stands in God's plan. God bestows His grace and He saves us. And God is now working out His purposes in His church. Then the last thing. We know these things are sure because we heard the good news of the gospel which brought us salvation. God sealed this gospel to us by giving us His Holy Spirit to teach us day by day that we belong to God. Now all these things put together form what the apostle then says, therefore. Therefore. That's the ground for my prayer. The sovereign grace of God working out His purposes in and through Jesus Christ within His church. And therefore, He says, I pray for you. And He's very specific in what He, pray, he prays for. The Christians in Ephesus would need to know God better. Now, if you, if you would put certain translations against one another, you'll find that in not all the translations, the word better is found there. And that puzzled me. That puzzled me. Because I want to think that I preach to you what the Word of God says and not what a translation says. So I searched for it. And I came across the fact that that word, knowing God, means, first of all, that the people who in Ephesus who have, have come to the place where they actually know God, that they would not know Him again, but that they, once now that they know Him, would grow in their knowledge of God. 
Further, he says, the knowledge that he's praying for is not a knowledge of the head only. It is a knowledge of the heart. It's a knowledge that comes into your mind and then it permeates all your life so that whatever you do, you do according to this knowledge of God. And, and that whatever you do would be overshadowed completely by your knowledge of God. It means, as someone puts it, that we would start thinking God's thoughts after him. You see, we cannot live as worldly Christians. We can only live, and we should be living as Christians, children of God. And when that happens, something wonderful happens in the life of the church. Yes, we need to know God better. Paul is very precise in what we should know about God to serve him better. It is not some airy-fairy knowledge of God. It is not some mystical knowledge which we might make up in our minds, which Paul is praying for. We need to understand more and better about God. And that calls for our eyes and our minds to be opened. First of all, we need to know that we are spiritually short-sighted. It, it, it's a good thing to start to know where your problem lies. Spiritual short-sightedness is the disease of our church in our day. We worship God for what we might get out of it. It is about us, our world, our desires, our needs. We hardly spiritually see. We don't always see God's plan. God's purpose, God's glory, God's power, God's hope given to us. The result is a church which is not growing. Everything we do is for us, our congregation, our calendar, our program, our agenda. For us to be awakened out of this disease and to be healed from it is to have our eyes opened. We need our hearts enlightened. We need to have the light of God shine upon the darkness in our own hearts so that we can see past this miserable world. Sometimes we look at our resources and we stop working for God only because our heart are darkened by our own limitations. You see the, you see the problem? We have no money, we say. We don't have the people we have no resources, and therefore we don't do anything. But let us confess before the Lord, we have no vision of his glory, of his kingdom, of his power, and the hope he has in store for us. We have very little understanding of the power of God as demonstrated in Jesus Christ. We have no vision of Christ on his throne, of his power and might, and of his authority over all powers and principalities of this world. And if we do, we don't believe it. That makes us spiritually short-sighted. We have very little understanding of what God wants of his church 
under the headship of Christ. This is our problem. Paul says, I pray that God would open the hearts, the eyes of your heart, that the Holy Spirit will reveal to you. That's what it says there. He will give you a revelation. He will reveal to you the power of God. I'm not into power theology. So by the way, don't, don't accuse me of being a power theologian. You know, you just aim it and you claim it. That is just plain rubbish. It's not even worth considering. But we need to know God better. Therefore, we need to know the work of the Holy Spirit. Elsewhere, the apostle declares, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. It is the work of the Spirit of God to teach us about Christ, to apply this the redemption of Christ in our life. That's what, is, what Paul is praying for, that the Spirit of God will reveal to us the power of God and the purpose of the cross and the resurrection of Christ. It is the Spirit who prepares the mind, enlightens the heart, enables the feeble members of our body to understand who God is. And this is the prayer we should be praying for each and every day. Not only for the worldwide church, but for our own congregation. We need to have in mind focusing on the glory and the majesty of God. Paul refers in verse 17 to the glorious Father. It is the Father to whom all glory belongs. It is also the Father who reigns eternally in all glory. It's this glorious God whom Moses said, Lord, can I see your face? And the Lord says to him, if you see my face, you'll surely die. Hide yourself in the rock and I will pass by. And you will only see me from behind. That is the glory of God. It's the glory of God who shook the mountain. It's the glory of God who took the people through the wilderness into the promised land. This is the God that we must see in a spiritual way. Oh, that we may have open eyes and widened hearts to by faith see the glory of God. We will then have to, we will then say that we don't have any real excuse not to work for him. We will serve him and expect great things of him. All for his glory.
we need to know God better. Can you just imagine if the missionaries of ages past could use this argument and say, well, we don't have the means, we don't have the people, and there we, therefore we're going to do nothing. If they used this argument, where would they be? But they are to us examples of people who saw the greatness of God, the majesty of God, the power of God, the glory of God, and the wide resources he had. And then they trusted him. And they did his work. They were never rich. They never had, according to what we would, as Christians, apply as standards for being rich. But they were rich in God, and God never failed them. Jesus, our Lord, says in, in John chapter 15, and if you'd like to, to turn to me, with me to that chapter, John chapter 15, it's an amazing promise of the Lord. It is, it is amazing, and if he doesn't knock you off balance today, then ask the Lord to do so in your life. It surely knocked me off balance. Once I understood, once I understood something of what Paul was praying for for this church. Verse 5, John chapter 15. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, listen, listen. Ask whatever you wish and it will be given to you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. What does the Bible say here? It says, God wants us to bear fruit. God does not want us to be dead, because if we're dead, we're cut off and thrown into the fire. God wants us to expect of him who is the gardener to through the vine who is Jesus bear fruit. And if in the process of doing what God wants us to do, we need the resources to do so. Listen. Ask. And it will be given to you. Why? Why? The world belongs to God. Oh, that we may be awakened from this, this, this just dreadful laziness that's come upon the church. Short-sightedness spiritually. That we throw up excuses before God and say, Well, Lord, we couldn't do it. Because we didn't have any means to do so. You know, it reminds me of, of this man that the parable talks about. 
Some were given ten, some were given five, and others were given only one. The one with the one talent, he then went and he thought, well, the best I can do with this is not lose it. I, the only thing I can do with it is bury it and give it back to God when he, when he demands it again. That is not good enough. Take your ten and double it. Take your five and double it. That pleases God. Sometimes I stand on my hands with my hands before God and I wonder if I, if I only have the one that I've got. Have I not lost that? You see, we know our glorious hope. The biblical hope which God has given us to look forward to. There, one day, when, when the end of our earthly sojourn has ended, we have the secure inheritance. What we have there determines the way we live here. A dim view of what awaits us leads to a dim understanding of our salvation and a very dim understanding of our service as God's children in His church till that day. The Apostle Peter writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled, and it will not fade away. It's reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. Now you see, this is what we've got. We've got that. And because that is the case, it determines the way you and I are working as God's servants in this church. I don't think I'm wrong to make the assumption that the average Christian hardly thinks about heaven. We have become so busy with our daily program. We are so entangled by the concerns of this world. We have become very lazy servants of the Lord. We serve both God and mammon. The goal of our Christian service is very vague and foggy in our minds. We don't know where we're going. And so we've lost our way and our drive. We walk in circles tripping over our own spiritual blindness. And this renders the church very ineffective. And sometimes we are amazed that the world does not look up to the church. We need to know God better. We need to know the incomparable power of God. We need to pray for better knowledge of God so that we can understand that nothing compares with the power of God. The word used here describes something which cannot be measured, something which out of reach of the ordinary. Such is the power of God. And do we know it? And how do we know it? Well, just look at the open grave. Such is the power of God. Look at the resurrection of Jesus. Death could not hold him, and more than that, Satan could not 
have any gains anything against the power of God and sin had no power against God and these if these things could not stop God from accomplishing his purpose and plans to save plan to save the sinners to build his church we need to get an understanding that God of all glory is with us through his son Jesus Christ we need to know God better. We need to know the kingship of Jesus Christ. And that's the last point. We need our eyes and our hearts enlightened to have a sure knowledge that God who raised Jesus from the dead also placed him at his right hand to have dominion over all powers and authorities. Do you believe that? Honestly, do you believe that? Not do you know that? Do you believe that? It doesn't look like it. So by the way, so just looking at you this morning, it doesn't look like it. Do you, do, can I say that again? Do you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the King of kings and he has authority over all authorities and that the title that the Lord has given him is far better than all titles given in the past and all titles given to anyone in all future. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you are a child of God through Jesus Christ and that you are a disciple of Jesus? Do you believe that? Yeah, well. Now why are we just sitting doing nothing? Paul says, I pray that the Spirit of God will open your hearts and your minds so that you can see the glory of God, the power of God, the redemption in Jesus Christ, and what He has done for His church. <coughs> we need to know this. And this knowledge should permeate our minds so that we will understand that we have no excuses not to do that he commands us to do. This sure knowledge will clear our minds and drive out the fogginess in our mind. It will help us in times of struggle, for strike, struggles we certainly have, so that even when, like the apostles and many after them, when they were shackled and imprisoned, to understand that God has the power to send his angels to remove the iron gates of a city. I find that, I find that absolutely mind-boggling. There were the disciples chained in blocks, singing praises to the Lord. And you know what happened? God sent an angel to remove the gates of the prison. And they could walk out. Or he could command an earthquake when it's needed. Or he might command his angels to mighty things. Things that we might not even see. All for the purpose of his church to reach out into the dark corners of this world with the gospel and to call people to faith in Jesus Christ. We need to know God better. 
Some here today might think that I've gone a bit too far today. Some might even think that I've become some sort of a high-powered charismatic. Talking about power. Far from it. This is the normal Christian life. This is not extraordinary. I'm just struck by the depth of the power of the prayer of Paul for the church. I'm struck by my own spiritual blindness and short-sightedness. I see the reason why I so easily blame others and other things for not doing the work of God. I just know from passages like this in the Bible that there is so much more for the church. I know that Paul knew it, Peter knew it, and the other apostles knew it. And so all the other through the ages knew it. They did not get a revelation other than what is already there in the Bible, which Paul prays for us. They did not experience something of an aim and claim theology, which makes Christians mere supermen. They just knew the glorious God the kingship of Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit reveals the already established facts about Christ and his resurrection. These men had their eyes upon Christ and they understood the glory of their eternal inheritance and that is what I pray for for myself. And that's what I pray for for you. And I ask you to pray for me. May God grant us the prayer that we may know Him better. Our God is rich and powerful, therefore. Let us talk about him. And let us do his work. Amen. Father, we confess that our faith is weak. Yes, we live, but we're just breathing. Of the victorious life, for your church under the banner of the cross of Jesus, we do not know much. So I pray for myself, for this congregation, for your church. By your Spirit, Lord, open our eyes to see your glory, your power, Christ's majesty, our eternal inheritance, and the work that you have given us. Amen.